Welcome to the Always Already Podcast. This is B. This is Rachel. This is Emily. And today we're going to be talking about uh, queer and humanisms, a special issue from GLQ, a journal of lesbian and gay studies. Uh, we selected three articles, which is inclusive of the introduction. Yeah, right? but Rachel also read a fourth because she's way overprepared. Oh, what in the <laughs> world? Slash underprepared. I got it wrong, but then I got the right ones after. Come on, man. Why blow up your own spot? Try to help Come you on. It's Seriously, cool. though. It's cooler to be an accidental like intellect than an overachiever. Oh, it's way Is cooler. It? Oh, yeah. Cooler, in, cooler. in like the... Uh, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, cool. that way exactly. people don't resent you. Exactly. <laughs> got it, got it. Anyways. Um, so, what were the articles that we read? We read the introduction to the, to the collection, which is called... Oh my god, I just did this. Has the Queer Ever Been Human? Yes. By Dana Luciano and Mel Y. Chen. Awesome. And then we also read a piece by Karen Barad, Trans Materialities, Trans Matter Realities and Queer Political Imaginings. And we also read uh, an article entitled Feelings and Fractals, Woolly Ecologies of Transgender Matter by Jean Beccaro. So very rich. rich. Yes. Ooh. Extremely rich. Ah. Jinx. Uh. Just kidding. Beep, beep, beep. Ah, I'm back. <laughs> you can talk. Okay, yay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed um, the... I, well, I enjoyed all of it, but I particularly felt they were all just very thought-provoking and intermingling and uh, open sources of critique as well as their own source of critique. Absolutely. So. Also, the special issue is quite large. We read just a small fraction of it, so if you find... Any of this uh, interesting and want to look for more, it's all available online as well, free PDFs, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Duke University Press. Um, so check it out, check it out. Uh, do we have any news or any updates? Um, well, we're all looking for jobs, yeah. jobs. So if you know of any or you have any, you can reach us at alwaysalreadypodcast at gmail.com. That would be amazing. Postdocs included. Postdocs included. <laughs> <laughs> adjunct courses um, <laughs> anything that we can put together for money <laughs> and you can also support us on uh, Patreon correct oh yeah become a patron of the podcast if you like us uh, that won't get us academic jobs but, but it will help it'll pay support. us back for the money yes. <laughs> uh, for the Lacan yeah so. this 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 high intensity and what are what are words like um Oh, high definition. Sound. High definition. Sound. Brought to you by our uh, phallic Mike Lacan, <laughs> who was mentioned actually in this issue. I counted only once. Lacan. Oh. Lacan. Well, thankfully oh. it was reduced to one. Yeah. When was he even mentioned? I think in, it was the, in intro? the intro. That when they were oh. like doing sort of like an overview of uh, every possible. Um, yeah, it was the intro. I'm, I'm trying I... to see if I can find it because that would actually be sort of a fun place to start. Yeah. Is like reading the Lacan quote. Okay, okay you well, you, look, you mm-hmm. look for Lacan and we will pause and be right back after this short summary. 
It's John here. I just wanted to jump in uh, somewhat awkwardly in post, as Emily often says, uh, to thank our current patrons. A special enhanced shout-out to Matthew Ryan. Matthew, if you have anything that you're working on, you want us to mention it on air, send us an email. And thank you to our other friends of the podcast, David, Bunny, Zach, and Laika. And with that, back to the show. This week, we read three articles from Queer in Humanisms, the special issue of GLQ, a journal of lesbian and gay studies, edited by Mel Chen and Dana Luciano. We begin by reading the introduction to this special issue, entitled, Has the Queer Ever Been Human? This first article lays out the theoretical foundation for the issue and the questions the editors hope to raise by putting queer theory in conversation with what they call the non-human turn, that is, scholarship on post-humanisms, animal studies, animacies, monstrosity, and new materialism. Basically, scholarship also attempting to decenter the Anthropocene. They do so to ask, quote, has the queer ever been human, end quote? And simultaneously, they ask what queer theory can help us understand about ecology. They ask these questions to underscore both how the queer has been dehumanized and violently denigrated, and also the resistant push against being included at all in a liberal conception of the human, whatever that may mean. Finally, by introducing the word inhumanism, the editors attempt not only to stage an encounter between the queer and the inhuman, but also to extend the term queer beyond its traditional use as a referent of sexuality and gender, and one that can reveal new insights beyond the Anthropocene and its immediate ecological surroundings. In Feelings and Fractals, Woolly Ecologies of Transgender Matter, Jean Vaccaro explores the theme of craft and creation, geometries and locations of touching, developing a new lexicon that includes feelings of connectivity and repeated practices of embodiment. The reader is taken on a journey through the intersecting worlds of trans studies and ecological matter. Exploring the journal's orientation of queer and humanism, Vaccaro argues that the handicraft of the crochet coral reef one that conjoins human hands and non-human ecologies, is suggestive of the everyday becoming of trans life. Indeed, she asserts that situated, interconnected, and productive theory of ecology advances how trans is not a matter of static identity, but relational interaction. The handicraft is often seen not for its productive capacity, and is rather hidden from popular view, as just some other recreational hobby. This resonates with trans realities, hiddenness, creativity, interaction beneath the scenes of visibility. And for Vaccaro, that means and makes all the more important the bringing into disclosure of trans embodiments. For these are a part of what Vaccaro theorizes as the infinite interconnections of life and experience and of gender. Karen Barad's essay, Trans Materialities, Trans Matter, Realities and Queer Political Imaginings is the closing piece to this volume. As the editors describe it in the intro, Barad's piece, quote, emphasizes in its very form the conceptual experiment that queer and humanism represents, given that a concept is both multiply produced within the pages of this issue and a long way, if ever, from settling, end quote. Barad brings together lightning, galvanism, Frankenstein, transgender rage, quantum physics and field theory, virtual touch, electromagnetic interaction, bioelectric limb regeneration, and embryonic lightning 
to experiment with an imaginative concept of matter as a, quote, wild exploration of trans-animacy, self-experimentation, self-recreations, not in an autopoetic mode, but on the contrary, in a radical undoing of self, of individualism. The radical potential of these reimaginings lies in its yielding to a politics of regeneration uh, with all of its monstrously queer possibilities. The political investment in creating new political imaginaries requires an account of imagining's own materiality and all of its destabilizing features. This is a really jam-packed essay and free online. We definitely recommend you take a look if you find the conversation interesting. So um, I really loved the entries that we read. Um, but I found myself and, you know, I don't want to start off immediately criticizing everything that, um, is coming in. Um, but I had a, yes, I do. I'm like, I'm totally the pugilist. Uh, I, I just think like, uh, there are so specifically in the introduction, like in the question that's posed, has a queer ever been human? Um, I wondered, uh, whether adopting a kind of a new vocabulary, um, or even a new grammar, um, for the way that we are discussing, uh, being, becoming and the like, are we, or does this volume smuggle in old conceptions or saying the same things only within a new language? Mm-hmm. And is this really, is this emancipatory? What kinds of ways can we sort of see this project as being the productive project that these authors envision it to be? And I mean, that's just the first question of many that I wrote that's still hanging in my head. So, um, that. okay. So I want to ask something back to you really quickly. Yeah. So when you say smuggling in more of the old or more of the same, exactly what same or what old is it that we're worried about? Um, so some of the, so when I was reading about so this notion of the inhuman, um, which then obviously framing it around the idea of what is human. Um, seems to suggest that it's already a settled thing um, on the one hand that the human as a concept, the human as a kind of either a philosophical uh, um, notion or even as a lived reality is dis- can be dispensed with and that these other kinds of ways of being, because the human is this normative category, need to be theorized outside of its normative capacities, right? And my thinking is, as I was moving along was that how to do it seems or how it was done seems to just be reflecting on the previous conceptions of what is human and paradoxically placing that normative framework within the language, but it's hidden behind a language of change, mm-hmm. negativity, becoming, belonging, um, you know, fractalization, ecology and the like. Um, and I'm wondering if the inhuman is doing the work that perhaps, you know, we should then just be reexamining back onto, right, the human. Because it's not so apparent to me that the human is something that we can just sort of, you know, dispense with theoretically. Um, that is already a normative project that can sort of push, right. we can push away from. So I'm going to try to take a stab and then um, hopefully you guys can correct me if I'm way off, but, um, I think I agree with you in that. I think there it's flirting with sort of like reinscribing the same idea of what's a human and not really questioning the human, 
but in some places more than others and in really different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think it does that the most in the introduction. And I mean, in some ways, that's that's an unfair, you know, place to look because they're trying to sort of present, like, what do we get by putting thinking about non-human objects, so to speak, with with queer theory? Um, And I think in in that place, they're deliberately, or they seem to deliberately emphasize kind of like the already... Um, in the already agreed upon idea of human because they're trying to affirm the experience and of impacts of like the brutal impacts of dehumanization, mm-hmm. which requires reinforcing that idea of the human onto um, queer bodies while at the same time affirming that quote unquote monstrosity. So I think because they're making a deliberate effort to emphasize the experience of, or include the experience of dehumanization, it requires, in a sense, strategically reinforcing the already sort of existing idea of what a human is. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's not necessarily the case in some of the other chapters. Mm -hmm. So in trans materialities, um, and I'm still kind of like reeling from that and trying to find a way to articulate it, but I think that there's a lot more room to think differently about what is human and what's inhuman. And partly because human isn't actually even mentioned that much, like almost by not talking about the human or the inhuman, but rather talking about lightning and quantum physics and how that presents a challenge to classical physics and like fields of attraction and repulsion. It actually decenters. It doesn't even begin with that as like the core. Um, and then woolly ecologies, I'm a bit lost trying to address that. But, but I guess what I'm saying is I think depending on the agenda or the goal in different chapters to different degrees, the human is reinforced. Mm -hmm. I think I read this volume completely differently from you, B. Um, to me, the stake is not, let's figure out what a, what a human looks like that includes the queer, but is rather, Hmm the human, whether it's post, in, or un, is a topic that is, like, immediately and materially pressing given, like, the state of global crises and research and scholarship. And so, like, given that that is the case, yeah. what what does queer theory offer by way of, and also hmm. what what is the consequence of its, like, methods and, and lines of inquiry given that what's currently being negotiated is like the non-human vis-a-vis the, um, you know, old, like Foucault's, uh, body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the man I'm gesturing right now. You can't the Vitruvian see me. Man. the Vitruvian, Vitruvian man, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to me, the stake is not like, let's figure out what a queer human is, but rather what, I, I think posing the question, has the queer ever been human, is meant to kind of, like, destabilize the even quest for defining human to begin with. Like, I actually read it read it as more in line with your own, your critique of it, rather than, mm-hmm. um, or your view on why that critique is necessary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't know if I, well, I, I definitely don't want to go the route of saying that the volume is trying to see what a queer human would look like, but rather the language that is being used that is new is just simply reproducing certain kinds of elements that are already found in a decentered way of thinking about 
um, what constitutes the human mm-hmm. um, as living mm-hmm. and what living means, uh, how living, you know, interacts and thus, you know, creates in like the woolly ecology section. What I loved most about that particular article was this notion of craft and becoming and, 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 and local, what I took to be local action mm-hmm. in such a way that, that the creation of the self, as it were, um, which sometimes there's an, you know, there's a, a metalliptic relation between self and human self and subject in, in each of these, um, articles, but it's like self-creation to me is the very thing of craft, um, within, you know, discourses on, you know, trans becoming trans being and the like, that's what I loved about the notion of the, the ecological, because mm-hmm. there cannot be self-creation without an immediate, um, implication of the out of the world, as it were, mm-hmm. the world that we share with each other, the world that is constructed by non-human or you know uh, otherwise inanimate, as it, we might say, uh, objects, um, but is always tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the fear that I have, I guess, is just that because there's I don't know there's a there's an element that I fear that there's not enough thinking about um, living. In the sense of actual living, mm-hmm. um, that, see, I that's think frightening. that's slightly that's slightly different though than than the charge of like saying saying the same thing clothed in different garb and thus like ushering in uh, maybe unintended negative and old like conceptual difficulties. Well, yeah, right? I, think I think that they're both the same, or, mm-hmm. uh, or I think that they're actually one and the same. Smuggling in old problems is not thinking. And I think the old problem was that we were never thinking about living process and the kind of, you know, the epistemological and ontological set, you know, uh, priorities of, you know, queer and trans and, um, and other ways of living in the world Mm -hmm. or modes of existence, we might say, like, as I call it, Mm -hmm. um, that's putting a new language on something, but yeah. Can we, can we, sorry, wait, can I just, um, maybe a sort of grounded example of this is like in the woolly ecologies chapter when Mm. she's talking about the the like tension between intersectionality and assemblage right that like uh puar reads the intersectional as a method i'm reading from page 277 now uh puar reads the intersectional as a method to examine the force of its pedagogy and asks how for feminist thinkers, activists, teachers, and students, the intersectional is, like the university's traffic and diversity language as capital, sometimes invoked to quiet and absorb difference, right? So that there's this kind of understanding that what what intersectionality, what uh, intersectionality no longer uh, does the thing that it was thought to do because it's been flattened and kind of emptied, right? And, and Puar um, talks about positioning versus what um uh what is called figuring in this paper right so figuring is supposed to be the thing that like pays attention to lived experience or something mm-hmm. where when intersectionality no longer does even though arguably like the thing that caused or you know catalyzed intersectionality to begin with was exactly the lack of attention to lived experience right so maybe i'm i'm just thinking through this now maybe there's something kind of like 
when you call lived experience the thing that is missing and then try to name it and conceptualize it, you then like it, right. it continues to evade your grasp. And like the more Absolutely. terms you create yeah. to describe it or incorporate it, the, the more you, the, the more you abstract it rather than. Which is know. why I would lo- call it living mm-hmm. experience. Right? Yeah. As we were talking about yesterday, like living knowledge and living experience, redu- you know, gets away from some of the temporal elements of the lived. Mm-hmm. And so it describes the way that in order to be living, as I can't remember specifically who said it, identity is dead primarily because identity presupposes a kind of fixed state of being. Um, and that, you know, once something stops changing, maybe it was Sandy Stone, actually, uh, once we stop changing, we're dead. Life presupposes change. Um, and so living is something that I think I absolutely 100% agree. You create a conception of living and there's a line of flight away from it because you've mm-hmm. just categorized it and there's always going to be an excess. Um, and sure, maybe new languages and new grammars seek to then capture that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, well, then let's interrogate, I feel like that's right? why Barad goes to physics, though, right? Yeah, yeah but, you know, the, it seems like there's a metaphor between what you were saying, Ray. It's like the metaphor is, all right, quantum physics versus classical physics is post-humanism versus, you know, enlightenment thinking about the subject, right. uh, you know, as two narrative or as a new narrative way of describing these, you know, tense relationships between old conceptions and new conceptions of, um, of change. I think also though, to be fair, they go through, at least in the introduction, they go through painstaking efforts to talk about queer life and not just the queer human and like right. precariousness is what we're up against. Like they say, I think that everyone who does gay, oh, I'm sorry, no, they're quoting somebody here. They say queer theory then emerges from an understanding of queer life as precarious life. And they talk about sort of their whole project of using queerness as a method while not removing it from the initial impetus, which was really radical that it came out of in response to like the AIDS crisis, even if it's been sort of like watered down over time in, in debates, right? Mm-hmm. As like, how do we be legible as humans, as queer human sort of thing, um, as a response to precarity mm-hmm. and like the ecology of precarity, whether it's in climate change or whatever it is, like it's a response to precarity. And, and I think like there's a lot of instances where they use queer life to sort of emphasize queer being taken out of the human context and used like, what can it teach us about ecology mm-hmm. um, in a way that's that's useful and maybe goes against what I was, I said before. I don't even know if it goes against, maybe it, like it just works with maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's in the electro repulsed <laughs> charged relationship. It's an intra action. <laughs> it's the lightning to the, I really loved all the parts about lightning. There's, I, I learned so much about lightning that I did not know from reading this <laughs> broad chapter. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's like, it, oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, think, can I say one thing um, that's hopefully a little smarter and more serious than I learned a lot about lightning, lightning. <laughs> but it's actually a really like big metaphor in philosophy, Nietzsche and all them. Yeah. Talk about lightning, right. But so the thing I thought was interesting though, about what Barad was doing was she was not saying like, not simply let's turn the negative into a positive or whatever that, that refrain is, however that's been watered down. But like, and not just the thing you said before, which was, um, like find new grammars to, to, um, sort of enlarge in our conceptions or whatever, but it's also to like trouble or to like 
give two interpretations of a phenomena that exists side by side. One, which is like dangerous and co-ops and potentially is potentially violent. And the other, which is this like radical unsuturing, unstructuring. And then like, you know, then we have this fill in the blank for whatever this future looks like. But for broad, it's not a, a future that's a future in time, but it's like a simultaneous radical future that is also now, right? That's the lightning. Um, yeah. So, right. So the idea that something like this kind of, uh, this work on frogs where people are regenerating with bioelectricity, regenerating limbs and creating eyes where there weren't eyes before, right? So on one hand, she reads that as like queer in this like intimate, desirous way and in this like potentially radical way. But on the other hand, she's like, I don't want to ignore the potential for this to be like another form of genetics, another form of ingraining or reinstating racial hierarchy, Mm -hmm. another form of like, like disciplining literally technologically and the human capital H in the like Western enlightenment tradition. Right. And I think that those two things are like coextensive is, is, I don't know, maybe trying to do that thing where we still keep living experience. I don't know. I don't know if it's successful, yeah, but well, I think that's it's I think that's the the impetus, you know. And I think that's the most that, I mean, it's thought provoking in in a way that's not just like that's not condescending or or banal. It's thought provoking in the sense that it actually changes the way one might think about the phenomena that we are engaging with that we see every day because you know we're going to leave this particular office and and renegotiate everyday lived ex- living experiences of our own i think what's really great about like the notion of lightning which regardless of learning new things about lightning it reminds me of benjamin's notion of knowledge is coming up in flashes and that the way barat is describing yeah. these mechanisms reminds me of benjamin's you know kind of epistemology that things come together in that lightning flash where it's constellated, it makes sense in a sort of now of recognizability and that, you know, the, the, the element of infinity that's within Barad is a means of saying, look, we could actually be, um, you know, vindicating queer theory, trans theory and the like, because quantum mechanics is already making headway in towards, because we've, we've idolized scientific fact and, and theory for God knows how long now. Um, but, you know, quantum theory is now suggesting and mathematics in that realm is saying, look, there is this infinity. There's an infinite infinities. There's a multiverse that through math makes finite that which we can barely comprehend. That vindicates queer theory in the sense that we have been talking in queer theory. We uh, have been discussing and theorizing yeah. about the multiplicitous ways in which the being of human engages and is disclosed in the world. And that there cannot be a simple tabulation of that, which is, you know, it can't just be given. The human, it can't be just given. Uh, And I think that that, I really believe, or at least I want to believe that that move that Barad's making is a really amazing way of going through and accepting the fact that there is an infinite, you know, accord of becoming and being, whether it be human or not. I mean, in that sense, is she, like, do you think she's just sort of re and reinforcing in a creative or different way, or making legible to like queer theorists what quantum physicists have been saying for? I mean, what's new about like, mm-hmm. in other words, what's the project in pairing this with 
queer theory, if this is sort of like a um, layman's, not layman, layman to sciences creative project of incorporating. Maybe just saying like, like, oh, but I don't know. I don't know that like every quantum physicist is also like politically radical and conceives right. of themselves as like an open right. thing that's like constantly <laughs> being renegotiated and touched by everyone I mean, all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is the political, the, you know, Barad is making the political investment to say the vindication of queer and post you know, humanist studies would be there is an infinite out there. That infinite, you know, infinite infinity is, as um, they were saying in the in the piece, must be kind of like is now the foreground and background. Um, yeah, and that people can't just simply dismiss what queer theorists have been saying about, um, you know, the 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 multiple, the the line of flight, the the capa- the incapacity or non capacity of language to capture. Um, and that there is always excess, mm-hmm. um, a remainder that, you know, creates new boundaries. That's perhaps what I'm mm-hmm. um, worried about in terms of, say, creating a new, ve- maybe the political investment is not so much trying to create a new grammar, but using a new grammar in such a way as to vindicate the old grammar and then say, invite us back into, mm-hmm. or maybe invite in a certain way, that discussion of uh, of queer and trans you know, that can be taken seriously because it's not, you know, in, in everyday discourse. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't walk into a bar and sit down and start talking about, uh, you know, untimely meditations and becoming in the infinite states of modes of existence. You oh, know? that's who you. Well, I mean, that's me and, and you know, our <laughs> good friend Cody. Uh, but like, uh, you know, but to do that would immediately involve like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, I am me, you know, and I am me forever. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I suppose like taking a step back for a moment, uh, maybe another question, which we don't have to answer now, is like, what does this do for practice in a right. way? Right. Oh, Not yeah. Just she totally now. leaves that wide open. I think the wool ecologies does that too. But yeah. this stuff is so suggestive, but there's like... It's exciting. Yeah. and But it's sort of like, okay, how do you, I mean, how do you like generate a movement of folks like based on this this view of the world or mm-hmm. whatever i don't know i kind of i feel like brad has gotten more i think for her so something that's potentially radical and i'm totally totally guessing here but i think she's like writing more about the recuperation of science lately mm-hmm. or in her like later most recent work than mm-hmm. in a way that like potentially and I'm thinking in terms of like discourse on anti-intellectualism and anti-scientism that there's like something kind of, um, I don't know, fracturing about a potential we or a potential public that like in the face of when we're confronted with like the technocracy of science or something like that, that like maybe there's something potentially there about forming a, a, a we or a public or a, or a citizenry or something that, um, oh, yeah. that has to do with like how we understand the role of science and like our relationship to ourselves and each other vis-a-vis science. I don't also, know. Totally us, speculating. Like she uses mm-hmm. us a lot, in yeah. the, like especially as she wraps up in the end. And, and the mm-hmm. last one is almost like a treatise or like a call to collectivity of some sort. Mm-hmm. Let us align ourselves with the raging nothingness, the silent howling of the void as it transfigures fleshy possibilities, wandering off the straight and narrow path, wanderings alight. Trans desires surge forth, electrifying the field of dreams and trans materialities to come. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's beautiful. And, you know, if we could just like, you know, break that down into. And also, what does that mean? Also, <laughs> right. I think that's beautiful. And what does that mean? Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it is but a call a to action. No, there, yeah, absolutely. Know? And it's like, l- let the void work on you. Yeah. And there's an us in woolly ecologies too, mm-hmm. right? Isn't it's like a call. The, the craft is like yeah. a, it's like a collaborative craft that like you cannot, you literally cannot do a- alone in isolation, right? What I thought yeah. so politically and, and, normatively and theoretically awesome about that particular um, article was that the craft is the thing that is oftentimes overlooked because it's the sort of handy labor, right? To crochet. Also a and, movie from the 90s. And, you know, that too, you know, which is never overlooked <laughs> and should be watched a billion times. Um, you would love the craft. I love the craft. <laughs> My entire childhood, teenage years had been defined by wanting to be a part of that coven. But you also that, love practical magic. And I also love practical magic. <laughs> Do you like Roswell? Uh, <laughs> okay, let's just we can we can go on for days and Stranger Things. Um, Buffy. Buffy. I, I mean, naturally, Buffy. come on, X Files. Everyone on the podcast in terms of I hear you never listeners, watch X Files. Never. I only sleep while I'm you know X Files is on, um, which is true. It's my favorite nap time uh, show. <laughs> but uh, but like the the no- <laughs> the notion of um, the craft is already kind of, or crafting, craft work, handiness or handfulness and heedfulness are these things that are overlooked because it's simple doing. You know, but, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, because then I'm thinking, well, you know, the everyday, you know, the living experience not to create, I don't want to categorize, but the living experience of, of trans and queer, but in particular trans is overlooked because, you know, it's overlooked because in that sense that self-creative acts or creative acts um, uh, you know, of the body, you know, doesn't get the political attention that is needed. It's not, a for, mm-hmm. it's not accorded a kind of politics. It's overlooked in that sense because it's not, you know, these big identitarian claims. Well, it's also and, interestingly in the body because of the like medical discourse surrounding it. It's, it's like it's de- deeply it's, depoliticized. It's depoliticized. Yeah. Absolutely. Because now you're pathologized and you're working within the modes of psychi- you know, psych- psychiatric care mm-hmm. um, as part of self-creation that over narrates and completely over determines trans being. And it's just like, fuck off. And it's um, like, yeah, the, the sensory. And I mean, I think the idea that we do something really simply but it like in a way that demands something different mm-hmm. of us in terms of like the sensory element or the the connection we have to that thing. So like crafting, if you think about patchwork, it's like doing something we would normally do that's not like you said, like intellectual in in the way that you know we're taught in let's say like enlightenment thinking, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it demands of us that we do something differently in relation to each other. Also. That's it. That's where it yeah, is. It's like the it, there's, there's multiple hands. And she says at one point, you don't need to be an artist, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's sort of like modes of being that aren't even like visible through a particular profession necessarily mm-hmm. or through like whatever you're readable as. Um, and yet you're doing something almost rote seeming, but with a different sensorial. Can I I ask you guys a question? So one note I made in the margins during that chapter was that, right, in describing craft as something that is sort of like simply done, not super valued uh, in a kind of broader scheme of things, I 
I thought to myself about the kind of like resurgence of craft in the like neoliberal mm. way and the kind of like hipster oh. craft and like how does that I don't know like did did you guys think about that at all does I, that trouble any of this formulation I or? did I think I think this formulation troubles the neoliberal review of craft because mm-hmm. this view of craft is relationality as, as Ray was just saying it's relational it yeah, is but there's founded. also something kind of like relational about the small like craft movement like think about craft breweries or something right mm-hmm. like they literally in a in the very basic like neoliberal economic way require like people consuming their products in order for them to continue to subsist well, right I'm thinking, so, like, I- like, <clears throat> No, go ahead. I totally interrupted you. No, no, no. I'm just like, well, I mean, it's exciting to think through. <laughs> it's exciting to think through the, the, you know, the conception that what ultimately is not, that's going to be loud, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what ultimately <laughs> can't be taken as individual acts, but rather as something that is founded within a group, a setting, and it's all ra- it's always already presupposed to be within relational activity. Mm-hmm. I think neoliberal crafts were tends to suggest a kind of a livelihood that's that needs to be secured um or an individual act of right. crocheting on a bicycle or something right it's but, missing that yeah that and it's collective. missing the fact that it's no longer about say livelihood so much as the if it's self-creation you know that creative act right. is not, not an about, economic it's livelihood not an, it's exactly, like a, like an right. existential it is that yeah it's the it's the epistemic aspect of finding oneself through the act of relational um, activity. Touching oneself? I think, so I had two different, my brain went in two places when you talked about the sort of like neoliberal, like craft breweries, artisanal cheese mayonnaise. Mayonnaise There's an artisanal mayonnaise store by my house that remarkably stayed open for two years, but it finally closed. Thank God. Oh, I'm sorry. Speaking of... (laughs) I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) Speaking of uh, neoliberal crafts. So... I have two impetuses that go different ways. One is like the whole like neoliberal co-optation of like multiculturalism and diversity speak. Like <clears throat> we're all different hands coming together to form a quilt, you know, and like also the the sort of um, hegemony of participation, you know, like this Ford Foundation grant supports like women doing participatory quilting, you know, like sort of the, sort, yeah. you know, every, they, they're all a part of this. So it's, it's Empowerment. somehow empowerment. Exactly. On the other hand, Empower there's this idea the of like collective labor and that's <clears throat> really anti-capitalist in a certain yes. way. Or yeah. maybe I'm thinking of collective work, which is more anti-capitalist. And this would be more like a Rentian labor. Mm-hmm. Like you're using it, like you said, in a more existential way to like find yourself will leave a mark on the world but right, and you're, it's not wage labor i mean it's right. not you're not you're not it's not remunerated in exchange for something that's like an economic livelihood right well, it's the, like yeah and the way that i thought you know what was, Wait, was there a so yeah, was, yeah so no just yeah. just i can see it going i mean i think i don't ultimately think this is doing the empowerment kind of thing it mm-hmm. just um i can see how it lends itself to sort of like patchwork quilts sort of you know um yeah 1990s multiculturalism, Mm -hmm. like lack of structural or historical analysis or context. But I think that ultimately this is doing something different. And Well, it brings a certain degree of legibility on practices that have ultimately not been seen as either political or important. And, you know, specifically or thinking about it like, you know, through this ecological or woolly ecological Mm -hmm. fashion, you know, is thinking about creative acts of 
embodiment of, you know, of non-transition normativity, mm-hmm. that it's not about transitioning. It's not about, you know, the, tri- you know, this whole overwhelming narrative of like becoming the other gender or transing in that sense, um, that must look like this particular embodiment, but saying there are so many different embodiments of trans that get lost in the bigger narrative of, of either transition or, you know, of self, that's caught in, in medical discourse, but that's also part of our everyday discourse mm-hmm. of like looking normative and appearing in the public in this normative capacity and that that must be what you want, right? Is to look and be this other thing when in fact, no, I'm not engaging in that kind of act. I'm mm-hmm. actually, you know, I'm, it's, it's a productive act that seems to be lost primarily because of a political commitment and epistemic commitment of individualism that, you know, it forgets the, you know, the community oriented, you know, sets of practices that, that this article is trying to highlight Mm -hmm. or the ecological thinking of Lorraine code, for example, that situates knowledge as a kind of interactive process that cannot be decontextualized from its ecology, you know, I'm worried about the word ecologies and ecological. I'm like worried that, no, no, not like, I like thinking in terms of ecologies, especially in, instead of something like economies or whatever, but I worry that it's going to become like a sub-in for that thing. You know, like, you guys did the J.K. Gibson Graham one, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that whole thing about the the economies. use of, about economies and, like, what mm. uh, the sort of emptying of it by the filling everything with it type thing. Like I'm worried about ecology going that way. Like becoming becoming the kind of like catch all phrase for everything that is potentially disruptive or or radical or not oh, not, yeah, so the, it's like not the economy. But not economic. Think, see I, I kinda I find myself the reason what I like about ecologies is that it's ultimately about like I mean what they're talking about in this, which is like relationship between bodies and objects and different relationality between bodies and objects that somehow like work together to form one big shape or moving organism or coral or whatever it is. Um, and I think that it's this, you know, again, it's the trap where you want it to, you want to re, um, reorient the, the language. And in order to do that, it's useful to use a word that we're all familiar with, Mm -hmm. but in doing that, you, risk having it be like emptied out of content at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's say, I'm just thinking like, let's say they used different jargony words instead, right? right? Like the tongue of no, the no, lip I, of the eye. Let me, let me be, I mean, I love ecologies. I love thinking ecologically. I love, I love it, but I'm worried about it's like where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. It has a, that was a totally aside that has not, no, not I think much it's important because this. it's, but it's like the first question posed was the new grammars that kind of smuggle in mm-hmm. or the new way of, of the new language that just merely recapitulates an old thing. But then at the same time, the new language that ends up normalizing. Right. I don't want ecologies to, to be, to replace economies. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because right. then it forgets right. the, it, it, you then you're no longer thinking about some of the substrata of economies in general. Right. Or the way that like ecology, I think explicitly meant to designate something that was not an economy, but, but also sort of paradoxically by 
drawing a distinction between the natural world and like the Mm non-natural world, which, you know, in some forms of like progressive radical thinking, we take issue with that division as well. Mm -hmm. So like you have to have an ecology that doesn't reproduce the like distinction between the human and the non or the Mm -hmm. natural and the non-natural in this way that like may leave some may have excess and potentially harmful and violent excess. Right. So it's like, I don't know. So I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I am really saddened to make this announcement because of a previous uh, podcast in which I basically lambasted this thinker, uh, that I've been using Heidegger as a way of of recuperating certain uh, ways of thinking about. I wish I had a button I could press that was like a boo. Boo! (laughs) But I'm recuperating Heidegger's thought and not Heidegger. Uh, And I think the two could be extricable. Um, but only in the we're sense, not having this debate again. right. We're not going to have this fucking debate. Uh, but I will say, like the way, yeah, the way that uh, the, we. By the way, the boo is from Princess Bride. Oh booing, yeah. yeah, boo, boo. Um, that would be amazing. But the way that we could think about the fact that we perhaps have not been thinking in such a way that, you know, in, in his, in that series of lectures on what is called thinking, it's his most thought provoking in our thought provoking age is that we are still not thinking. Um, and that these kinds of inquiries are advancing not only food for thought and thought provoking ideas, but actually trying to get us to think in ways that destabilize some of the the norms that have situated ourselves in a world that you know just sort of is given um and I th- you know we're all guilty just because we're in you know queer theory women's studies and the like of sort of taking certain things as given um oh yeah and not in- hella shit well given. yeah and, or even thinking itself it's like to say i think about blah 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 is to normalize a certain method of yeah. thinking and i i believe that these kinds of articles and these new movements in queer and humanisms and others in trans studies is to kind of, it's to get us to think, but really think, you know, not just form ideas, but to say the ideas that have been formed out of this old way of thinking that we've been taking to be thinking, they're not ideas and they're not new. Um, that they re-inaugurate or reformulate and reproduce, you know, old conceptions of what is human, old conceptions of gender, old conceptions of um, difference and the like. And it requires a kind of, uh, that onto-epistemological, um, framework that, uh, in the introduction, um, they said uh, is Anseldua's main, you know, main work in the Numestisa. It's, it's onto-epistemological in the sense that it creates a new way of thinking, it creates a new theory of knowledge, and it's always productive. That's what I thought actually was really interesting about the um, Woolly Ecologies piece is that the metaphor of the patchwork is, um, it's, it's problematic to call it inanimate, but it's inanimate and in a different way than the boulder that they talk about in mm. the beginning or the lightning, right? Because with the boulder and the lightning, there's this kind of connection that they use Ansel Dua to draw between like the people and the land and it Mm -hmm. invokes like the history of colonialism and like colonization and settler colonialism Mm -hmm. um in a way that connecting it to the craft doesn't as much because it's less natural so then it leads to a question of like and i used quotes 
when I said natural, <laughs> by the way. We should have a button for that, too. Yeah, scare quotes. Code. We're using scare quotes. I feel like our voices do... I, I mean, I got it from your tone. The inflection. Yeah. Less. Natural. So-called natural. So-called natural. <laughs> quote. Natural. Quote. Unquote. Quote. <laughs> Is it unquote or end quote? I don't, I don't know. know. I know nothing. I thought it was... I, thought, I don't know. I, I thought it was unquote. But it should be end quote. I don't know if it should be. I don't get it. Anyways, um... It, I, I thought that that was an interesting move because it's more um, manufactured, right? So when we're talking about inanimacy, does it lose, if we're talking about something manufactured or quote unnatural, like a book or a desk, does that have less animacy or less valence um, in terms of like connecting the um, quote unquote human or the body to the surrounding environment, like let's say Anzaldúa does in Numestiza Consciousness. Oh, no, I. I, that, love I mean, that. that's more of a question. I, I love that know. question. Um, maybe, uh, you know, with the book or a text or something that isn't given the same kind of animacy that a boulder is a part of land could be viewed as a kind of horizon, mm. right? That maybe fused with other kinds of horizons gives a, a a similar kind of I don't know I see you smiling <laughs> I'm using the word hor- I'm using the hor- no it's not word- you it's me it's oh, okay I'm using the word horizon to sort of like to implicate you know the limit of of what is like when I see a book or I'm surrounded by you know crochet work that I that I have been working on with others that is, you know, my horizon meeting other horizons that fuse right. together to create a new method of thinking. But right. aren't you a just new, using new words? Am to I just say merely old recapitulating old things? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying it in such a way as to say, I'm like, maybe that, maybe that it does have a certain kind of animacy, not in the same way. But right. I think because the question is really thought provoking, I don't know. I, I don't honestly know I, don't know I don't the have answer. An answer but I don't really. I'm just sort of speculating. I thought I thought there was going to be more of a like naturalist thing going on after I read the introduction because of the connection, because it started with the boulder and the mm-hmm. connection between the woman and the boulder. Because um, I really love that. No, the that point, happened. I mean, the I thought that was to set up the stakes, which is why I read it as, right, and this is the thing, this is the, like, question that we ask about the Anthropocene, right, which is, does focusing on does focusing on the need to do something about climate change in the face of this potential catastrophe and saying that, like, we need new grammars to think about uh, all of our entangled togetherness with the environment, right, does that erase everyday politics? Does it erase hierarchy? Does it erase power? Does it erase all of the other human problems right. that we've not dealt with yet, mm-hmm. right? That's That's the question. And here I thought... Like posing it in that way, right? Like talking about, we have people who would say, who would say like, the woman is a boulder and the boulder is the woman. We are all that. We are all nature, right? But mm-hmm. also like, the the question is then, does that erase the you know the violence of the everyday violence of? But I think that the different formations of queer and in, in like living experience and also in the abstract and in medical discourse mm-hmm. in, you know, housing in like all of these everyday problems and I think or ways. I, one thing I actually am really interested in, in thinking through is, and they brought it up in the introduction, but, um, the subjectless queer critique, right? Like mm-hmm. how does that decenter like 
um, relations of power and um, positionality and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they talk about, so they say, um, critical race, feminist and queer thinkers to post-human and or the non-human turn, their, their critique of that, um, it is not because of the effect of some recalcitrant or retrograde attachment to the human. Rather, it illuminates a concern over the critically and politically limiting effect of much recent critical insistence on the, quote, positive, in, end quote, of calls to turn away from critique as such. Um, and so the limits of that turn as sort of like, you know, masking normative whiteness and the the role of, you know, white supremacy yeah. and mm-hmm. patriarchy. Absolutely. Um, and I'm interested in what are the limits of pairing queer theory with um, inhumanisms mm-hmm. for that? And I mean, in a way, it goes back to the subject, subjectless queer critique, right? Or maybe like post-modernism yeah. well, versus structuralism. But I think there's but, also like temporal horizons, right? There's like, if you think about it in terms of whatever, I'm going to say this and take it with a grain of salt, like practical political problems, mm-hmm. right? Like you could potentially, when you're using the lens of queer or whatever queer theory has to offer to reimagining or reshaping or negotiating all of these terms that have had you know, violent histories and problematic consequences, right? That like, <clears throat> okay, so where, where and when do we need it and why, right? So we have simultaneously this like vast global problem that we have to deal with, which is that like our time on earth is running out mm-hmm. basically, right? And then the other problem, then there's like the like immediate problems of like people who are, you know, like have nothing living on the street or Ill, like cannot receive benefits of any kind or assistance of any kind because they can't check the box that like allows them to be legible to the state. Right. And mm-hmm. whether in terms of like crossing borders or in terms of just like New York city homelessness of young trans youth, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 there are time horizons in those right. as well that right. like, and, and queer, queer theories like playing with, time and with temporality, like factors into how, you know, like how and to what extent (laughs) we use these things and for what outcome, what Mm -hmm. end, right? Right. Like it's not delimiting how or when to use it by making that connection within humanisms. And I, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, then the, the so-called practical aspect was like immediately, it was immediately performed in the beginning to say, if the queer was never human, it's not even the theoretical commonplace. It's to say that the queer and the trans, you know, the, the racialized body has never been human in the sense that it's always been disposable. Because, you know, ob- in a normative way, the human is that which can be, you know, that which should be saved or salvaged. And the, the non-human right, or, or the inhuman, or right, yeah. the non-human or the inhuman was that which can be, you know, confined, concealed, and, and thus disposed of. Uh, and so the practical aspect is that is to say we can reflect upon we as not only just sort of scholars, uh, as as activists, as people in the everyday world, we can reflect on that to say, uh, you know, look at the pre- look at if we say practical, but as you know, the everyday lived moments of violence, right, of police brutality, of violence that visited on you know non-normative bodies every day, um, and in that sense, like it, it, what I hope is that queer theory, trans theory, critical race theory, and the, these intersections, these fused horizons, don't forget that. You know, it's 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 to not forget, forget the now, if, not to yeah, not to forget the now, but to also think about how does one speak 
in terms of epistemology without losing sight of what is in terms of like the empirical realities of yeah. death disposability brutality without getting lost in the in the resurgence of biopower biopolitical grammar um and you know you know techno pharmaco you know pornography as Preciado points it um, Were you just about to call it pornological? I almost said pornological, <laughs> uh, which is really fun. Pornological, pornological, but yeah. So it's like not to get lost in Up that next. thinking, right? <laughs> um, and coming soon, coming from soon, Lorraine so Code. to speak. Yeah, <laughs> um, pornological thinking. Ah, see, coming soon, pornological <laughs> thinking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like not to lose sight of that. Um, and how do you? How do? How does one uh, put it in language that doesn't? so distance itself in the, you know, in the black box of theory right? or mm. through the black box of theory. Right? Uh, classic, always already podcast question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the black box of the theory. theory. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Theory. <laughs> well, guys, it's been really real. It has been, or has as it? always. On the note, on the note <laughs> of the black box of theory. <laughs> oh, you subjectless, subjective, ontologically oriented theory. <laughs> oh, you epistemo paradigmatic ontological blueberry critique. <laughs> I don't get it. Butts, butts, butts. Okay. Uh, on that note. On that note, give us jobs. Yeah. Are we talking about jobs so much? Uh, you, know, you guys need to take a break. <laughs> no, I don't know how not to take a break. How does one take a break from writing a dissertation every day at a you know a local coffee shop? Okay, well we're gonna take a break right now. On that note. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion of the Queer and Humanisms Journal. Uh, as we've waxed on enough about mm-hmm. ecologies and the like, uh, we're going to uh, save my Tumblr friend from Canada or one or several wolves for the next episode, the next text-based episode. But thank you for joining us. Definitely um, thank you. Definitely thank you. you have any burning tumblr friend from canada questions or dreams to analyze then hit us up always already podcast at gmail.com tweet us facebook us uh support us on patreon and i think that sums it up always already on is our um at always already on on twitter um anything else um have a very always already day indeed Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Always Already Podcast, which is created by B. Altman, Emily Crandall, Rachel Brown, James Piloty Jr., and John McMahon. Visit our website, alwaysalreadypodcast.wordpress.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at alwaysalreadyon. Subscribe to our RSS feed. Leave us a good review on iTunes or any review on iTunes. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash alwaysalreadypodcast. Email us texts you'd like us to discuss, advice, questions, answer, and dreams to analyze always already podcasts at gmail.com thank you as always to leah for the intro music from her static loops and thank you to me for their cover of landslide which you are hearing right now until next time bye